0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, Atlanta. This is Dr. Carissa, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We are live on Real 1100 AM. You can also stream uh, on the internet, www.real1100.com. You also can watch us on Facebook Live uh, via the uh, Real 1100 AM WWWE page. Uh, We are also featured on the Old Fashioned Health Network and on our own page on Facebook, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. It is a pleasure to be with you all again, once again, on this Thursday. And our show airs every Thursday at 11 a.m., Um, And so uh, today we have uh, yet another survivor spotlight, um, which last week we had our first one, and that was just amazing. And I want to thank my guest, Ms. Uh, Sylvia Artis-Hines, once again, for sharing with us about her experience with COVID-19. And we have another survivor um, that will join us shortly. But, you know, as I always do, let me just tell you a little bit um, about our topic today. I'll kind of get you into it Um, and so here we have it let me tell you a story Um, but first of all let me set my timer because I have to put myself on a timer otherwise I will just continue to talk and talk and talk and there will be no commercials and I won't even allow time for my guests so I have to put limitations on myself (laughs) there we go anyway let me tell you this story so a 44 year old man with a past medical history of obesity boards a plane from London, England bound for Los Angeles. The flight which lasts for about 11 hours is uneventful and lands safely. The man goes about his normal activity and about a week later collapses outside his home and later dies at a local hospital. An autopsy finds that this man developed a pulmonary embolism stemming from a deep vein thrombosis, which developed in his leg during the flight, more than likely, and traveled to his lung. That man was Dwight Errington Myers, more famously known as Rap Icon Heavy D. When he passed away in 2011 at the age of 44, It's shown a spotlight on a condition that we in the medical community see with some regularity and on occasion with this fatal consequence. So let's look at pulmonary embolism and that is what our guest um, will be talking about her um, involvement with and her experience with and her survival of. Um, So first, we in the medical community will refer to pulmonary embolism as PE. Right? Um, And so what that is, is a blockage of an artery in the lungs by a substance. Most commonly, it is a blood clot um, that has moved from elsewhere in the body, more commonly in the legs, through the bloodstream. So it starts in one place, a little piece of it breaks off, travels through the bloodstream, and ends up in the lungs. Uh, Most common times, the clots, also known as DVT or deep vein thrombosis, forms in the legs, breaks off, and travels to the lung. So when we are talking about um, our risk factors for this, um, risk factors are cancer, um, prolonged immobilization, so that would be long car rides, long plane rides or prolonged periods of bed rest for someone who has been seriously ill um, and not able to get up or not able to do any significant movements. Smoking is also a risk factor. Stroke, um, genetic conditions that lead you to have uh, blood clots, uh, estrogen-based medications such as birth control, uh, pregnancy, obesity, There are some post-operative conditions that can lead to immobilization and lead to and predispose you to uh, developing these blood clots in your legs and significant varicose veins. Now, I know a lot of people, I myself, have a varicose vein or two. Um, And so, you know, I don't want to frighten anyone into thinking that because you have one varicose vein or two or five um, that you are at significant risk for this. When we say uh, significant burden of varicose veins, we're talking about several, several, several tens and tens and tens um, of these or, or very large or very extensive um, veins. Now, in some rare cases, uh, the embolic material is not blood, not a blood clot, um, but can be air, um, like an air bubble. Uh, fat from long bones, so most likely if you were to break your thigh bone, um, that's a big risk factor, Uh, and amniotic fluid for when, you know, when you are pregnant. There is also an association between um, a COVID-19 infection, just to kind of bring it back to uh, what's going on with us currently, uh, and the development of these blood clots. Um, Of course, we know COVID-19 is responsible for um, blood interruption of blood flow in every area because, you know, it can cause strokes, it can cause heart attacks. And here we see it affecting the lungs in this way uh, through pulmonary embolism. But of course, you know, it can affect the lung tissue in and of itself in addition to the vasculature um, that supports the lung. In terms of why this happens and how this happens with the COVID-19 infection as with everything with COVID-19 research is ongoing and we are learning more every day every week every month um, that we are experiencing COVID. So how do you know that you have one? So when we talk about symptoms and so usually um, someone will present to the emergency room Um, saying that they are short of breath. And now, of course, when we talk about the reasons why someone could be short of breath, there are, I could spend the rest of this hour talking about um, the reasons why someone can be short of breath. But in the case of pulmonary embolism, about 85% of the time, that is the presenting symptom. Um, About 50% of the time, a patient will present with chest pain. 20% of the time, a patient will present with a cough. Usually it's dry. Um, On occasion, someone will cough up blood about 7% of the time. Um, Someone can have an abnormally low blood pressure. Uh, They can have an elevated heart rate. Uh, 14% of the time, patients will pass out and then be brought to the emergency room. And then, of course, uh, there is the most severe uh, symptom, which is sudden death or cardiac arrest as a result of pulmonary embolism. And usually when that happens, the burden of the clot is very large. So you have a very, very large clot um, that happens to fall into a very, very specific uh, place inside the vasculature that, that um, supplies the lung. And you may or may not have heard of something called a saddle embolism. Um, And that is one that blocks the blood flow, excuse me, that blocks the blood flow to both lungs at the same time. Uh, And it is, as you can imagine, quite devastating. So, how do we diagnose a pulmonary embolism? Well, of course, the first thing is. When the patient presents, there's the clinical suspicion that we have um, that is based upon what you tell us and also based upon what we see and what we find on on exam. And that's the first thing is that we have to suspect that this is what's going on um, with you. So when we are going back through, and I'll go back to our very, very first show when we talked about being an effective patient, when we talked about being very, very specific and very directed in what you tell your physician. Um, Because in particularly in the case of things that are life threatening, you know, you don't want to have all of the distracting things that are going on, you know. So for example, yeah, Doc, I'm having shortness of breath, but you know, I'm really, really more concerned about my toe hurting. The toe is the distraction, right? The shortness of breath is the star of the show at that moment. So, you know, you really want to be pointed in, um, in giving us um, all of your information about what's been going on with you. You know, how long has this been going on for you? Um, what things make it worse? What things make it better? Um, and then also about your risk factors. And that was also one of the points of our first show about knowing what your risk factors are. Um, and we'll talk about um, what those risk factors are um, shortly. So, the, of course, you know your, your physical exam uh, comes into this as well. Um, there are lab tests that we can perform that are screening tests that will help us to decide do we do any further investigation uh, into, into this. Um, and ultrasound can also be helpful. Now, the ultrasound will be of your legs and we are looking for the clot it may be there and it may not be because depending upon the original size of the clot, either part of it or all of it can break away from the wall of the of the vein and move through the bloodstream to another location. So we may not find it on the ultrasound, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't there. But in terms of imaging, um, we use a CT scan of your lungs, and that is the gold standard where we can actually look at the vasculature, look at the lung tissue and see has there been an interruption to the blood supply or not. So that tells you just in a nutshell um, about uh, about pulmonary embolism. I hope you all are getting a, a good little bit of education um, when I'm doing these these intros because it's kind of fun to go back, uh, for me, fun to go back and and, you know, review these things that I that I see and know and have known for so many years. But it's good to, to go back and remember the first time I learned about, about these things. So we are going to stop here and go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we will have our guest. This is Dr. Carissa, and you are on with Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We'll see you after the break.
1: Rejuvenation for youthfulness and beauty is trending worldwide. People are getting laser hair removal, Botox, dermal fillers, skin brightening, tightening, lifting and reshaping. SmartPlex ATL, a comprehensive medical spa located in East Cobb, 4799 Old Town Parkway. You can also visit us online at SmartPlexATL.com. Dr. Alexander and his team enjoy pampering you while you receive customized treatments and a beautiful, calming zen-like atmosphere. SmartPlex ATL, we are your Hollywood destination for exciting youthful rejuvenation.
0: Hello, hello. And again, good morning. I am Dr. Carissa and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And so I will I will take a a brief minute before I introduce our guests and just share with you, um, because someone just on Facebook asked me, should there be music playing in the background? Um, And yes, normally we do have music playing in the background. Um, but sometimes I don't want that to be a distraction. So, but I will tell you about the music that we that we choose or that I choose. Um, usually, it is um, surrounding the theme of the show. And so, of course, with pulmonary embolism, um, the main symptom, as we discussed in our first segment, is shortness of breath. So, all of the songs that we'll play today have a breath or breathing theme um, to them. So, um, "Lose My Breath" is what is what is playing now and. Um, In the beginning, I believe it was Breathe was the first song. It was Every Breath You Take by The Police, which is one of my favorite songs and one of my favorite bands. But anyway, so on to our guest. So I am very, very happy to introduce you all uh, to this person. And so I I will say again, um, you know, the blessing in doing this show is that as I was coming up with the the concept of the show and reaching out to different people. Um, I am so blessed to say that everybody that I asked said yes. Um, and I am particularly honored Uh, when there is a survivor that says yes, because um, they are coming to share their personal experience. And I think that that is just incredibly special and very brave. um, And and I'm just really honored that someone would take their time to share their personal experience um, with me and therefore with you. So on to our guest, Ms. Dorsha Simmons. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Ms. Dorsha Simmons is currently serving her second term as Chief of Staff for Fulton County Vice Chair Marvin Arrington, Jr. In her current role, she oversees the District 5 administration, which serves over 170,000 constituents in five cities. Before her role as Chief of Staff, Mrs. Simmons had a boutique consulting firm where she provided business and marketing communication services to clients of various industries. Dorsha began her career at 16 years old after winning a paid internship and scholarship with Baltimore's CBS TV affiliate Channel 13 in collaboration with the Foundation for Minority Interest in Media in New York. During the next five summers, she worked as an executive managerial trainee learning every aspect of the television broadcasting industry. Most of her career, Dorsha leveraged her broadcasting experience to excel as a marketing communications professional. Mrs. Simmons worked in nonprofit as a public relations director, global affairs coordinator, and executive director. In the public sector, she has served as volunteer services coordinator, acting public information officer, and currently as chief of staff. A proud alumni of the, alumna, excuse me, of the University of Virginia, and I gotta pause right there and and give a little special shout out because that is how I know uh, Ms. Simmons. So we're gonna go ahead and just give a wahoo wah. Thank you so much. A proud alumni of the University of Virginia in 2005, Dorsha founded the UVA Black Alumni Club of Atlanta. Currently, she serves on the president for the Douglas County Board of Travel and Tourism Incorporated, Secretary for New Jerusalem Worship Center Incorporated, Board of Directors, and Advisory Board Member for Passion for Life Incorporated. Under a pseudonym, Dorsha is the author of a four book series called Shattered and screenplay writer of several features. A resident of Douglas County, Georgia, Dorsha is married and the proud mother of two sons and two stepdaughters. Ladies and gentlemen of the airwaves, please put your hands together and welcome to my show, Ms. Dorsha Simmons. Hey, ma'am. Thank you. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I am blessed and
2: thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. Um, you know, as I said, you know, for people who go through things, um, you know, sometimes we don't share those things because they're incredibly personal or we don't want to revisit those things because they may be painful or, or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, I am always deeply humbled and, and most certainly appreciative of anyone who, who shares what they have been through and particularly something as scary as pulmonary embolism. Um, you know, that, that's just something to come through. And, and, you know, we just thank God that you did. So we'll get started with, um, with with our first question. Um, so how did you know that something was wrong? So, um, two
2: years ago I had, um, some health challenges in in my reproductive area so mm-hmm. I had a laparoscopic surgery
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I was warned about the risk of blood clots so it was actually really high on my list um, and even the day of my surgery and I they gave me morphine and I was like hey I don't care. Let's get up and walk because I was, you know, very diligent on, about it. Sure. hey, I don't want a blood clock. And, and then, you know, they had the compression, you know, um, things around my ankles, whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, even when I went home, I was walking three times a day, you know, mm-hmm. and I made it to my two week appointment. Now, the thing, with laparoscopic surgery, as you know, but maybe, you know, people in your audience doesn't know. Gas passes through you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I was experiencing that, and that's not something that I had ever experienced before. And not just gas, meaning, you know, the regular gas that we may get from eating, but I was experiencing movement of gas, like in my back, in my shoulders, whatever. And that was very painful, but it was mm-hmm. something that, you know, I was learning to cope with and deal with. hmm so I made it to my two-week appointment with my doctor, and she said everything was well with me. I was doing well, um, you know, no issues. I didn't have a fever, anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right after that appointment, um, I'm still feeling what I consider the gas going, but I felt it like in my back and in my chest. But mm-hmm. it was like in a concentrated area, mm-hmm. right, right? and i was like this is excruciating like this gas is not passing
1: mm-hmm. like
2: every you know after a while all of the gas it passes but this isn't so what happened is i ended up with a fever and mm-hmm. it was like a 102.7 and i took some ibuprofen i'm thinking like well i'm out of you know trouble as far as whatever was going on with the surgery and and, and now i have this fever and so I took the ibuprofen, I sweated, and then when I woke up the next morning, I didn't have a fever anymore, mm-hmm. but I still had that excruciating pain. So I went on what I call my praise walk in the morning time, and I felt the Spirit of God tell me, take your temperature again. And I'm saying to myself, no, why? I don't feel hot. You know what I mean? I don't have a fever.
0: Mm-hmm. But when
2: I did, it was, and, it was 101.7. But so then I felt another prodding in my spirit saying, call the nurse practitioner. And I'm like, why? Because they already gave me, you know, a clean bill of health. They said, I'm, I'm great. I'm mm-hmm. past any risks. But I yielded.
0: <laughs> and Good. I called.
2: And when I, when I spoke to her, she said, well, it, it, it could, it, it's, it's not anything related to the surgery at all. I promise you that. She says, you probably just mm-hmm. have a, a respiratory virus. hmm and I said, well, let me tell you how I feel. I feel like I have a balloon inside of me, and it's about to pop any time now. That's the type of pain that I feel. Mm,
0: that's a great way to, to explain that, that pressure sensation.
2: Yeah, and she said, I'm, I'm letting you know, this has nothing to do with your surgery. And, um, but, you know, what you can do is go to an uh, urgent care Uh or emergency room
0: Uh and
2: have them, um, you know, evaluate you. But I'm thinking that you have a respiratory virus. So So then my dad takes me to the emergency, I mean, to the urgent care. And I'm there and, you know, they're doing all of their, you know, exams on me. And they actually do an x-ray. And they come back and they say, you know, they don't see anything, and I don't have any symptoms of any type of virus. Mm-hmm. But when I was leaving, the doctor said, he said, please go to the emergency room because we are not equipped with the equipment that is needed to diagnose a blood clot. And right. I said, what are you, what, what are you talking about, a blood clot? I was like, you know, I, I'm past my surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, he says. Ma'am, please listen to me. He says, because I won't be able to sleep tonight. Because if you have a blood clot, you could die. I need you to go to the Mm -hmm. emergency room because only they can diagnose that. You cannot diagnose a blood clot, at at urgent care. Right. And I said, okay. (laughs) You know, but I'm still not understanding the gravity of this situation. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. I just want to go home and lie down because that pain. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I felt like something was about to explode inside of me. So then I go to the um, emergency room it was eight o'clock at night when I get to the emergency room and I'm there to 12 o'clock in in the room waiting for um, they're ordering a cat scan mm-hmm. and I explained to them what I'm feeling and they said okay well you know we're going to do this cat scan so at 12 o'clock I go back to get the cat scan and then when I come back out they said it's going to take where we have um, backlogged, there's been some accidents, we have some other, and they explained to me, you know, the order in which they see patients and results come back and the whole process. Right, right. And they said that um, it's going to take about an hour or two for us to get you your results. So, you know, just hold tight. So I said, okay. In five minutes, the doctor burst through the door and told them to start a heparin drip on me, mm-hmm. that I had a pulmonary embolism in my right lung.
0: Wow. Wow. There's so many points just listening to your story. So many points here about listening to your body. OK, and I'm I'm thankful for that little voice that kept telling you, um, yeah, yeah, two weeks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This this is wrong. <laughs> Something's wrong. And that you listen to that, because a lot of the times we will um, say, you know, you are out of the window and this is what we know based on, you know, our clinical research and all of our our learning and such things and books. And the one thing that comes into that is that everybody doesn't follow the textbook. Clearly you are an example of that because they looked for your risk and you were at the most increased risk during that two weeks and you got through that two weeks and we're fine. And then in that third week, boom, here we are. Right. Yeah. So, you know, Doing all of that, listening to your body, um, and then also being persistent in saying, you know, that was one of the things in my first show that I was, you know, talking to people about being an effective patient and how you can be, you know, be pointed. So if you are still having chest pain, that needs to be your, that needs to be your, your, your talking point, chest pain, chest pain, chest pain, chest pain. You know, and and so so like you and your story, you told everybody that you met that this is what was going on. This is what this felt like. You didn't waver from that. When people told you, oh, well, it's probably just respiratory, you didn't say, oh, well, you know, okay, well, it probably is. And go on throughout, you know, because that could have had very, very serious consequences for you. Um, Because as you can tell by the fact that once they got that CT report, all of a sudden, your priority got moved up because you had something seriously, you know, you had something major happening. Um, and that is what happens in the emergency room, that it is a it is a constant shifting based upon the data that we get back. So, you know, you were young, otherwise healthy, um, you know, active. So you were someone who didn't tick all of the boxes for risk that we know about. Outside of your surgery. But even with that, you are outside that two week period that we look for this to happen. So even that was kind of like, eh, maybe that's still a risk. Maybe it's not. Right. But it's yeah. something that you, you know, it's one of those things we say in medicine that, you know, the things that you don't think about, you don't check for. And so luckily that urgent care doctor, and we're going to be thankful for, for him, um, you know, said, hey. You know what? Absolutely. Do 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 this because,
1: because I did you walk just away home.
2: from the situation, feeling some type of way about the nurse practitioner. And it's so interesting because Wellstar sends you um, surveys mm-hmm. after your experience with the different practitioners and doctors, and right? Um, <laughs> uh, yes, and I and I did, and I'm like that could have cost me my life. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, just the, uh, oh, it's the upper respiratory. And, and and this is the point. I said, I feel like I have a balloon in my chest and it's about to burst.
0: Right. And, you know, and that, that gets to, um, you know, and of course another, you know, I talked about um, Heavy D having a pulmonary embolism, but another famous black woman, Serena Williams, um, is mm-hmm. also a pulmonary embolism survivor. And she talks about her experience of Not having her pain being believed and Mm -hmm. really, really having to advocate for herself. And that is, you know, I tell everybody that is so important that you advocate. Of course, there are ways to do it and there are ways to not. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is so important to do it, you know, and, and you just keep talking until someone hears you. You keep pressing that until someone hears you. And it's, it's a simple enough test to do, you know, to do a screening, to do the CT scan, and so on and so forth. But, you know, I think, um, you know, what I have learned in, in my years in, in the ER or in medicine period is that people just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. And they want to know that you're listening. And I always try to be mindful of that because you get so busy, and especially in the emergency room, it's hustle and bustle. And, you know, the next thing coming in is always the next thing coming in. Um, but I always try to be mindful of, you know, am I, am I listening? Am I hearing what my patient is saying to me? So, um, so you talked, you answered my next question, which was how you were diagnosed. So you went to the emergency room, they did blood tests. Um, I imagine those blood tests came back. Okay. At first. And they're like, well, yeah, let's go ahead and get the CT scan. And then that is when, that is when, you know, things started moving very, very quickly. You became very, very popular in the emergency room. Um, and- well, what, what the blood
2: test. Um, things, uh, my white cells were um, high, mm-hmm. you know, um, and things weren't off. I mean, they were a little off of my blood work also, which they were also concerned with. But at the end of the day, they needed a CT, you know what I mean? Right. Um, to determine. And, you know, leaving out of urgent care, I felt like I learned something as a person that would probably just go to urgent care because I don't want to mess around with emergency room. Is that they don't have the equipment? So right, they to are be not be able to diagnose. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah, they are not the emergency room, um, and so they are limited. Although they are a, a valuable resource as a first step, because sometimes yes. they can take care of things, um, and then but they do the responsible thing of saying, you know what, this is more than what we are equipped to handle here. And then refer you on. And I know that from a patient from a patient side, that that can be kind of frustrating because it's like I came here. Why can't you fix it? Why do I have to go to yet another place and wait and do all of those things? Um, But, you know, that's just kind of the nature of, of the beast as it is that this is what they can do. And when they are honest and say, you know what, this is something I think that's more than what we can handle here. This is what you need to do, is really important to follow that up because, you know, again, going back to you, what if you hadn't done that? What if you hadn't listened to the doctor saying, you know what, go ahead and go to the emergency room? Or what if you had decided to wait? You know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm hurting. I just want to go lay down. I'm going to go home and lay down and I'll, maybe I'll go to the emergency room tomorrow. Right? You know, just just thinking about those delays that we give ourselves for legitimate reasons, because I'm sure you are exhausted because you have been dealing with this for several days um, or maybe even weeks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just kind of, you know, being being in pain, being sick will wear you out that you just feel like, you know what, if I could just rest, I would feel better. So now let me ask you. Did they ever discover any, outside of your surgery, were there any other risk factors for you for developing your pulmonary embolism?
2: So when the medical team met with me, because, um, of course, you know, they admitted me into the hospital, mm-hmm. and they met with me, and they ordered a EKG. They ordered sonograms on my leg.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and they found absolutely nothing. Mm. Um, so... Uh, they told me that this was just one of those rare situations, you know, and because there was nothing else. There was no other health issue. And, and the first thing they did was, of course, the sonograms on the legs. Mm-hmm. You know what I
0: mean?
2: Right. Because um, they said most of the time it stems from that, but right. they didn't find anything. And then when they did the EKG and then more, you know, tests and stuff, and they were just like, you know, your heart mm-hmm. is wonderful. There's been no damage to your heart. It lungs, you know, and then as soon as they started the heparin and stuff, and then my my blood level my levels started becoming more no, normalized. So they said that it's, it's, you know it happened. Although I wasn't a candidate to necessarily get one, but it happened to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 you know sometimes there are, and that's I think that's the most challenging thing for physicians is that when things happen that we can't explain. Um, because our patients are looking to us for answers. And sometimes the answer is, I don't know why this happened to you. And that is, that that's to me, that's for me, the hardest answer to give. Because it doesn't, it doesn't give you any resolution and it doesn't give you any, any pathway as to how do I prevent this from happening to me again, if I don't know what happened, you know, how it happened to to begin with in the first place. Right?
2: Yeah. I'm a woman of faith, so yes. I, in my spiritual, you know, um, being, believe, you know, that it was an attack against my life, and that God, you know, prevented it from happening. Like I said, I didn't want to do all of these different steps, but God's spirit, you know, led me to do this. It mm-hmm. could have been my life if I would have went home. Yeah. I probably would not have gotten back up. And the um, doctor kept it real, real with me at the hospital. He said. Mrs. Simmons, people don't walk around
0: for two weeks with a PE. They just drop dead. In some cases they do. He's he's right. Because you <laughs> And know, I'm like, wow. The little small ones cause small complications, the big ones cause big complications. And you know, death, I guess you could consider that a complication, but <laughs> that you know, that yeah. does happen. That that really, really does happen. So now have you had any any complications um, from your from your initial condition or have you had any lasting effects um, from having a pulmonary embolism?
2: No. So um, when they released me from the hospital, um, I had a choice of medications. I chose Eloquist, which is a blood thinner, mm-hmm. and I had to do that for um, six months. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a little scary because they were like, you know, you're preventing your body's ability to clot. So if you get any deep cuts, you know, that Jesus that you're bragging
0: about and talking about, he's going to have to save you. He's going to have to come on and step in. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) So I did take that um, for six months, and then I would have to go, um, you know, and get blood work um, done to make sure that everything was okay. But I've never had any complications. I'm not on any medications, and this is year two.
0: Excellent, excellent, excellent. So. Just in wrapping up our segment, my last question that I always ask, um, what advice would you give or what would you want people to know about pulmonary embolism? Um, About it
2: in general is, you know, if you feel a feeling that you have never felt before in your chest or your back and it's unexplainable and it's accompanied by a fever, but even if it doesn't have the fever, Right. You know, go to the emergency room. It's an inconvenience having to be in the emergency room because of the queue times, but it's worth your life. Um and then on the other hand, if you are a person of belief like I am and you believe in God and you listen to his voice when he's proud of you, because it could be your life. Like everyone I spoke to that day, that could have been my last time speaking to them and that's mm-hmm. very important.
0: Mm. Yes indeed. Yes indeed. So listen, listen to those little voices listen to your body, listen to those voices, listen to your spirit and and move. Yes. take action. Yes. because yes, it, it is and I, and I tell people when they come into the emergency room and they say, you know well I'm here and you know when when I have good news to report and I say, you know well everything looks fine, you know this is what it is. we're going to let you go home. you know they're always like, oh, I'm sorry to come and they' and I always tell people it is always better to be safe than sorry. This is, what yes. we, this is what we do. This is why we are here. And I would much rather tell you that there's nothing wrong here at the hospital than for there to be something majorly wrong and you're at the house. And
2: I think that's the last thing I want to emphasize is don't get so caught up on, and this is no offense to those in your profession, the... Uh, business as usual, like this, okay, after two weeks, then you're out of the clear, and then, oh, well, it's probably this because, you know, you've you passed the clearance of the two. If I would have just listened to that, and she was so assured, mm-hmm. I, you know, the part of me that wasn't even wanting to go to the urgent care, because I said, well, she's saying, I'm, 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 like, wasting my time. And if she thinks it's a virus, it's not like they're going to give me anything. It's going to have to pass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was a part of me. Just listening to her, because once again, you know, she's a professional. What do I know? But, you know, I'm glad that I didn't yield, and I just went ahead and went through the inconvenience. Of this you know, like I said, it was my life
0: that was on the line. Sure. And, you know, and, and like I said, you know, everybody doesn't follow the textbook. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we always, as practitioners, we always have to be willing to just kind of consider that you know always in the back of your mind like I said if you don't think about it you don't pursue it and so you know that always has to be a thing of maybe you know what let me just check this because so many times you know in my career when I've said you know and I've gone to the patients and I've said you know well you know it could be this you know we've run down the list it could be let me just check this last thing and then that last thing is it. Um, you know, and having seen people who have varying degrees of pulmonary embolism, because I've seen you know the ones that just show up as as just the DVT, so they just have the clots in their legs, but it hasn't moved anywhere. Um, and I have actually seen people who survive the the major ones that are the car, the, the sudden death ones, the saddle embolus. Um, you know, I've seen people survive those as well, which is amazing to me. Um, but again, those people that survive are the people who listen to their bodies and seek help, you know, because yeah. oftentimes we, you know, because I've done this to myself, even, you know, just saying, oh, well, you know, you're just tired. So if you rest, you'll feel better. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and then it turns out, you know, I'm sick, you know. Um, so you know, it, mm-hmm. I, I can't emphasize that enough. And thank you, thank you so much for sharing your story because your story is not a typical one of what we in the medical community um, experience with with someone with pulmonary embolism. You completely. And thank you
2: so much for having me um, come on here and be able to share with your audience. I really appreciate it. I thank you so and
0: much. <laughs> wah <Wah-wah>. yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you so much to Ms. Dorsha Simmons, and we will be right back after the break. You be well, Dorsha. All righty. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now.
1: Are your pets vaccinations up to date? Just for Pets Wellness Center can help keep your pets protected from fleas, ticks, heartworms, and other nasty bugs with the latest parasite detection and prevention programs available. We offer parasite screening and prevention to the most advanced topical and chewable medications. Using our online pharmacy is affordable, safe, convenient, and provides home delivery. Visit our website for more information at www.justthenumber4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund on of the Old, old Fashioned, Fashioned Health, Health Show. Show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. and listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app, where we talk about healthy information, products, and/or services, and get some old school music in on the Real 1100.
0: How dare you say that mommy hit is unacceptable? So
2: Unnecessary, I have the tendency of getting very physical. So, watch your step, cause if I do, you need a miracle. You dream and die and make me wonder why I'm even here. The double vision I was seeing is my clear. You want to stay, but you know very well I want you gone. Now, take the f, tread the ground mate. I am
0: walking on. And we are back. This is Dr. Carissa and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We just had yet another awesome, awesome guest on Ms. Dorsha Simmons talking about her experience with pulmonary embolism. Um, And just, you know, as I shared with her, just in listening to her story that, you know, it was not the typical presentation that we see at all. Right. Um, You know, hers, was definitely um, an atypical case. She had had a, a surgical procedure. She had gone through her post-operative period where she was at the highest risk uh, for getting a pulmonary embolism and was fine, went back for her follow-up, got a clean bill of health. A couple days later, she's sick, and then pursued that path, thank God, uh, and was subsequently developed, uh, diagnosed with a pulmonary embolism. And so, you know, I've said this many, many times before, um, but, you know, definitely, definitely listen to your body. Because even as a physician, no matter how good a physician I think I am or how good of a physician you encounter, we are not inside your body. And so, you know, you must listen to what your body is telling you and you must act upon what your body is telling you. If it turns out to be nothing great. The only thing you have lost is time. But if it turns out to be something and there can be an early intervention, it literally can save your life. So let's get back to talking about pulmonary embolism. So in the United States, about 500,000 people or so half a million people are affected um, every year. And of those 500,000, about 10% or 50,000 of them have fatal pulmonary embolisms and die. Pulmonary embolism is the third most common type of cardiovascular disease so we talk about heart attacks we talk about strokes but I don't know if we go to number three um, in in the public sphere um, in talking about um, in talking about commonality um, of cardiovascular disease Uh, pulmonary embolism becomes more common as we age um, and here's a, a fun fact men and women are equally affected Um, So, you know, when we talk about pregnancy being a risk, of course, that affects women. Um, When we talk about the um, estrogen-based medications, most commonly birth control, of course, that is a woman issue. Um, And so you know, when a woman comes in complaining of chest pain, we may think about blood clots, but we also have to think about that. And and I encourage the men out there listening that if you are developing chest pain, definitely go to the emergency room. Um, It may be a heart attack, but it may also be a pulmonary embolism um, because of course, 50% of the time people who present with chest pain, you know, that's a symptom of uh, a pulmonary embolism. So, why is pulmonary pulmonary embolism so important to, to discuss? So if it is untreated, pulmonary embolism has a very, very high morbidity and mortality. So when we talked last week, we talked about morbidity being illness and mortality, of course, being death. And so in an untreated case, 30% of untreated pulmonary embolism resulted in death. Whereas if treated, only eight to ten percent, and that's where that that fifty per, that fifty thousand uh, number comes in, because those people um, were probably treated. So eight to ten percent will die if they get medical treatment, um, whereas thirty percent will die if they don't. Um, that's a huge number um, and, and a huge risk. Of course, we talk about the size of the pulmonary embolism in terms of being a factor. Um, The bigger the clot, the more blood supply it can obstruct, okay? And so we don't necessarily measure and we don't say, well, you know, if it's this small, then it's not a big deal. If it's this big, then it's a tremendous deal because even the very small ones can cause significant symptoms, um, but the very, very small ones usually don't cause death. Usually those are the very larger, um, very much so larger, um, larger embolisms. So when we talk about the long-term consequences um, of pulmonary embolism, um, because luckily Mrs. Simmons was one of the people who, had developed the pulmonary embolism, sought medical treatment, got that treatment, and it has resolved, and she has now been symptom-free and back to her normal self two years after the fact, and that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, But in about 4% of people who have pulmonary embolism, um, they end up with disability, Um, and that disability usually comes from a condition called pulmonary hypertension, which is a high blood pressure in the lungs. So, you know, we talk about high blood pressure and we just describe it, you know, when we say just high blood pressure, we really are talking about what we, what we in the medical community call systemic high blood pressure. So that is the high blood pressure that happens on the side of the heart. Um, but there is a high blood pressure that happens on the side of the lungs as well. Um, pulmonary hypertension and some symptoms of that, which can be disabling um, people with pulmonary hypertension can have chest pain, they can have shortness of breath, and they can have crippling fatigue. Um, And of course, that puts tremendous limitations on their capacity uh, for physical activity. Some people require supplemental oxygen on a 24-hour basis or maybe at night um, as a result of, of these limitations. Um, Of course, research is ongoing for treatments for pulmonary hypertension um, and on the lasting after effects of pulmonary embolism. Um, And just to highlight that again, there was a study in the European Respiratory Journal in uh, 2017 um, where they studied 647 patients who had their first pulmonary embolism and they followed them for three years afterwards. And so they did lab work and they did the CT scans and such things to see what happened to to people's lungs um, over over that period of time. Um, And so what they found was that 324, so almost half of the people that participated in this study, had some degree of residual pulmonary obstruction. 10% of those, 324, so about 33 people, had a recurrent pulmonary embolism. So, you know, once this happens once, it does kind of increase the risk of it happening again, um, but of course, with uh, recurrent pulmonary embolism, we look a little bit deeper to find, um, you know, those risk factors, um, you know, that we talked about, and I will mention those again: uh, cancer, prolonged immobilization, smoking, stroke, genetic clotting conditions. Uh, estrogen-based medications, pregnancy, obesity, uh, significant varicose veins, and post-operative complications. So those are your risk factors. Um, treatments, and Miss Simmons was perfect. So she she did my show for me, essentially, um, when she was talking about the treatment that she received. Um, so she said, you know, the doctor came in, told her that she had a blood clot, started her on heparin. So heparin is a type of blood thinner um, because what you want to do is to prevent another clot from forming. So the the thing that happens with a blood clot, now we can give medications in certain instances that are what we call clot busters, um, but not everyone and not every situation calls for that. But the mainstay of therapy is to prevent the second clot from forming and, and causing any kind of damage. And so Blood thinners is the mainstay. That's the mainstay medication. And so you can get that through an IV, which is heparin. Um, it can also be given through a subcutaneous injection um, through a medication called Lovenox. Um, and then there are oral medications. Miss Simmons mentioned one of them uh, called Eliquis. Now, going back for me, um, when I was in med school um, many, 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 many years ago, there were only two treatments. So you would get heparin, and then you would go home on a medicine called warfarin, or more commonly known as coumanin. Um And so it is exciting to see that the treatment regimens have expanded themselves. Um, so... My producer is telling me that I need to wrap it up. So here we go really quickly to prevent um, DVT or to keep your DVT risk low. If you're going into the hospital, ask about blood thinners or compression stockings, lose weight, exercise regularly, avoid long periods of of staying still. If you are traveling, every hour you want to get out and stretch or at least every two hours. If you're unable to do that, you at least want to move your feet so you can move your feet in circles or pump your feet up and down to activate that calf muscle and to keep blood flowing in the lower parts um, of your body. You want to drink lots of water and wear Loose Clothing. Uh, for more information, you can go to the North American Thrombosis Forum at www.natfonline.org. And I will post that link on the Facebook page. So to wrap up today with your vitamin C. Um, and the vitamin C that I want to talk about today is about acceptance. Uh Dealing with a sudden and or chronic illness is always challenging and even difficult. Um, That is because usually the thing that we are asked, no, forced to accept is not something that we ever wanted, right? Um, So while we wouldn't wish it on anyone else, we also never, ever imagine it happen to us. Illness changes us. Um, I'm diabetic, and if I'm honest... I, was, I felt I was just fine the way I was before my diagnosis, right? I had no problems. And in years past, I have found myself wanting very much to go back to that person. Um, but the hard reality was then and still is that there is no going back. There's only going forward. And so I leave you today, <clears throat> excuse me, with the words of Michael J. Fox, who lives with Parkinson's disease. And I quote, acceptance doesn't mean resignation. It means understanding that something is what it is and that there's got to be a way to get through it. Thank you so much for joining me this hour. I look forward to spending next Thursday at 11 a.m. to 12 noon with you. Have a blessed week. This is Dr. Carissa and you have been listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. See you next week. Take care.
1: Come on, lift your hands to him and tell him.
0: This is Doctor Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week.
1: Thank you for listening to another Old Fashioned Health Network show on The Real 1100.